We're going to continue today in our study of the book of Ephesians. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, you can also find the text we're going to be looking at in your bulletin, Ephesians 4. We're going to start in verse 17. I want to start by reading you a little snippet from a book called uh, You Can Change. It's a book by a guy named Tim Chester. Uh, let me read the, the, just a section of the introduction to kind of set up where we're going. Uh, Fred started having intense struggles with lust in his teens. 20 years or so later, he's still fighting sinful fantasies. He thought marriage would sort it all out, but it didn't. He's put in place regimens of spiritual discipline, all to no avail. Alongside this has grown an addiction to pornography, an addiction strengthened by the advent of the Internet. You'd think Carla was a respectable Christian. She doesn't swear, steal, get drunk, commit adultery, or commit any of the sins by which we measure one another's godliness. But her Christian service has little joy. Often she's irritable, often complaining. Colin's life was turned around when he was converted. He left an adulterous relationship and stopped getting drunk. But a few years later, his Christian growth seems to have plateaued. Like Carla, he looks respectable enough, but those close to him know he has a temper. He's not someone you'd ever want to cross. If shopping were an Olympic sport, Emma would be a medal contender. She's not had an easy life, and shopping cheers her up. New clothes, something for the home, luxury foods, these are the bright spots in her life. They're her compensations. As a result, money is tight, and she has little to give away to others. Everyone said Jamal would be a great asset, godly, diligent, well-taught, but it soon became apparent that his diligence was driven by a need to prove himself. He wanted a position in the church, but his fear of failure was debilitating. There were dark moods, periods of withdrawal, tears. Baptizing Kate had been the highlight of my year, but where to begin now with her racism, her drinking, her innuendo? She gladly accepted the call to be ready to die for Christ, but how would she respond to the call to sobriety? How would that be good news? Do you ever feel like any of those people, you don't have to nod, uh, but, but, but do you ever feel like any of those people, is there something about you, about your life, uh, that you'd like to change? A place where you just kind of feel stuck and you feel like, well, I'm a Christian and I ought to be able to, to move forward from this place, but I'm just stuck here and I haven't been able to change. That's, that's what I want us to talk about today. So let's, let's read the scripture, uh, Ephesians 4, and we're going to begin in verse 17. This is God's word. Now this I say in testifying the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. 
Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let me pray for us. Father, we, um, we do thank you for the scriptures. Uh, and we also come acknowledging that even as uh, believers, even as those who have the Bible in our possession, in our language, that, that we can find change very difficult at times. And there are many of us uh, this morning who feel stuck and unable to move forward in the Christian life. And so I pray that you might help us to see how you change us today. And we pray it in, in Christ's name. Amen. So how do I change? How do I <coughs> change who I am? How do I change the things that I do? There's two things that we've already seen that are foundational to this uh, that we really need to talk about before we talk about what we're going to talk about today. Uh, two things that, that have, to, have to be in the foundation before we're truly going to change as people. Number one, we have to be brought into a relationship with the living God. We have to be brought into a relationship with God. Now, earlier in Ephesians, we saw that by nature we are all uh, dead in our transgressions and sins. In verse 18 that we just read, it describes us uh, as being alienated from the life of God. So the, the first thing that has to happen if we're going to change is we actually have to be connected to God. We have to be unalienated. I don't know if that's a word. We have to cease being alienated from God, and we have to be reconciled to him. We have to be brought into relationship with the living, life-giving God, and that happens through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, as we hear the message of the gospel and we respond to it, as we, we come to that point in our lives where we're able to acknowledge, you know what, I'm trying to live like I'm in charge of everything, and I'm not. I've been living like I've been charged, and I need forgiveness for that. I need forgiveness, and I need to submit to God's ownership of my life. Uh, I need to repent of my sins and trust in Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. So that's like the first foundation if we're actually going to change as people. And Paul really spends the first three chapters of Ephesians talking about that. But there's a second thing that has to happen in terms of laying this foundation for change and we looked at this last week in the first part of Ephesians. It is this, when you become a believer, God doesn't leave you to just kind of live the Christian life on your own and figure out everything by yourself. Rather, he places you in the body of Christ. He places you in the church. He gives you relationships with other believers. Uh, he, he puts you under the teaching of his word where you can, you can learn and you can grow and you can learn what it looks like to, to, to live in relationships appropriately with other people, humbly serving the people around you. So those are the two kind of foundational things. You need a relationship with Christ, and then I'm brought into a relationship with other people in the church. It's like, okay, so where do we go from there? I'm still stuck. Um, how do I move forward? How do I actually begin to see my behaviors 
actually changing. Uh, there's four things in this text I want us to see that, that Paul gives us instruction that we need to see if we're actually going to change. Uh, number one, we need to remember who we were. Number two, we need to remember who we are. Number three, we need to be renewed. And then number four, we need to put that into practice. So number one, remember who we were. Look, look with me at verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now the Gentiles just be non-Jews. Paul says you can't walk as the Gentiles walk any longer. Now, why is that significant? Well, remember, he's talking to Gentiles. And so he's saying, to Gentiles, you can't keep living like Gentiles. Now, that would be like taking somebody from Spartanburg and saying to them, stop talking with a southern accent and quit liking sweet tea and, and quit liking Wade's. All right? You just, that has to change. And you're like, well, wait, I'm a, I'm a Spartanburgian. Um, I, I can't just change those things. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Gentile. That's who I am. And Paul says, no, that's who you were. That's not who you are anymore. That's who you were. And you need to remember what that way of life was really like. Um, imagine someone who's been a drug dealer and they're like removed from that lifestyle. And they're trying to set foot on the right path. But they're not making any money. They can't find a job. And they start looking back and like, you know, that's pulling down a lot of money doing, doing that thing back there, you might say to them, are you sure about that? Do you remember what all that entailed? Do you remember what that life was really like? Do you remember what the life was really like that you've left behind? So Paul says to his Gentile readers, don't, don't walk in that Gentile lifestyle any longer. You can't live the way you've been accustomed to living because that lifestyle was actually a lifestyle of futility is the word he uses to describe it. It's to walk in darkness. And the reason you were living a futile life and you were walking in darkness, he said, is because you were alienated from God because of the hardness that's in your hearts. In other words, he said, you're, you're kind of doing this to God. You're like, I don't, I don't need you in my life, God. You're irrelevant to my life. I can, I can do fine I can live a meaningful life without you, without reference to you. And he says the reality is, is that when you do that, you're actually living a futile and a meaningless life. When you, when you push God out of the equation, your, your life by necessity it becomes meaningless. Now, you might say, well, I don't, I don't know if my life is meaningless without God. You know, I've got relationships with other people. All those relationships are going to go away. They're going to go away. They're, they're not going to last. They, they will one day evaporate. You may say, well, I've got more, my morality. At least I'm a good person. According to who? If, if there's no God, reference to God, according to the 51% of Americans who might happen to agree with you at that time, if that's the way we're going to define morality. Well, I've got my accomplishments, and people will remember me for my accomplishments and respect me because of my accomplishments. Let me ask you something. How many people know anything about your great-great-grandfather? Like, I'm, I'm saying very few. You might know a name. You might know, well, I think they might have fought in the war between the states or something. You know, they did. I don't know what side they were on, but they did something. Um, 
Like, we don't remember any of those things. And you say, well, we've got technology now, and Facebook has, like, after-death mode or whatever. Where you know, Have you all seen this this week? And I don't know if this is a joke or not, where they're talking about, like, if you die, you can have it keep posting things about you. And so you'll be remembered forever. No. I mean, the only way your great-great-grandchildren are probably going to remember you is if their second-grade teacher makes them go to a family tree. And then they might find your name in an old family Bible somewhere. I mean, we're just going we're gonna to be, be dust. We're going to be ancient history. You might say, well, that's all depressing. Thank you. But, but at least I can, I can kind of suck the goody out of life now. And I can have a little fun, I can pursue a little pleasure, maybe I'll just, I'll just party then if, if that's the case. Um, go read the Song of Solomon. Um, not Song of Solomon. <laughs> that would be a, that's a different sermon. That's the Fifty Shades of Grey sermon. You, you, might, you might, well, never mind. Um, go read Ecclesiastes, rather. Don't read Song of Solomon. I don't even know why I said that. Um, it's Valentine's Day. Go read Ecclesiastes. And see how that worked out for him, all right? Go read Ecclesiastes and see how that worked out for him. And then, and then call me before you start self-medicating. Because he's just left there going, everything is meaningless. I've had everything. I've tried everything. And it's just, it's just all pointless. Because he was trying to live without reference to God. When, when you cut yourself off from God, you're cutting yourself off from the one who gives meaning to the universe. Without God, we're just kind of a glob of chemical events, occurrences that are just kind of randomly happening with no meaning. And, and Paul says, that's the, the viewpoint of life that you used to live out of. That's the way of thinking that you used to be caught up in. And, and you can't think like that anymore. It, it was futile. Don't you remember that? And not only that, he says, when you were living in, that, living in that way, you had given yourself over to that lifestyle. He says you had given yourself up to sensuality here. Uh, one of the biggest lies that people tell themselves when they don't have a relationship with Jesus is, well, at least I'm free. At least I can do what I want to do. I don't have some God. I don't have some old book telling me what I have to do. I can do what I want to do. And Paul's saying, no, you're not. You're not free. You're, you're enslaved by your desires. That's why, you can't keep, it's why you can't keep looking at porn. It's why you can't quit being angry. It's why you're driven by fear and, and the need to, to prove yourself. Because you're actually enslaved by your desires. You're, you're not really free. Uh, David Foster Wallace, I read something this week that he wrote, and he was commenting on the whole... Uh, Brian Williams pretending he got shot down in Iraq when he didn't really think. And this is what he said. My whole life I've been a fraud. I'm not exaggerating. Pretty much all I've ever done all the time is try to create a certain impression of me and other people, mostly to be liked or admired. It's a little more complicated than that, maybe. But when you come right down to it, it's to be liked loved, admired, approved of, applauded, whatever. You get the idea. I did well in school, but deep down the whole thing's motive wasn't to learn or improve myself, but just to do well. <clears throat> to have a good transcript or varsity letters to show people. I didn't enjoy it much because I was always scared I wouldn't do well enough. 
the fear made me work really hard so I'd always do well and end up getting what I wanted. But then once I got the best grade or made all city, I wouldn't feel much of anything except maybe fear that I wouldn't be able to get it again. Do you see both how his desires drive him? I want to be loved, admired, approved of, applauded. Like that's driving everything he's doing and he's fearing failure. And at the same time, he's like realizing the futility of it all. And it's all wrapped up together, realizing the futility of it and yet addicted to it at the same time. Paul is saying to his Gentile readers and to us as well, um, you can't keep looking back at, 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 at life and, and wishing maybe things were still like that. You can't keep living that way. You can't look at life the way you did when you were not a believer. The way, that way of thinking, that way of operating leads to nothing but futility and addiction. And you've got to move away from that. You've got to untangle yourself from that. And so you've got to remember who you were and not go back toward that, but move away from that. Now, secondly, he wants us to remember who we are. We remember who we were, but then we need to remember who we are. Paul talks about the way of life they used to live, and then in verse 20 he says, but that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of the life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self. Paul says, that is not the way you learn Christ. Now, that's an odd phrase. Isn't it? You don't usually say, you say, that's the way you learned algebra. You don't usually think about, that's the way you learned a person. That's the way you learned Christ. And I think what he's getting at is not just that you learned about Jesus that you were actually brought into a relationship with Jesus. And when you were brought into a relationship with Jesus, you put off your old self and you put on a new self. You're not the same person. You're not that same person. You're a new creation in Christ, and you need to learn to live out of that new identity. You need to learn to live out of who you are. It's the same type of language Paul uses in Colossians chapter 3. Listen to how he puts it there. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And Romans 6, 6, Paul says that, that you were crucified with Christ, that your old self was crucified with Christ. So Paul is saying when you became a believer, there was a definitive break. There was a definitive change in your life everything changed and it's like that you that was dominated by sin that was living in this gentile way of thinking that that you just died and doesn't exist any longer and so you're not a slave anymore you don't have to sin in the way that you once did you're truly free um, your reason for living has changed you no longer have to live to prove yourself. You no longer have to live out of fear. You no longer have to live to make a name for yourself. You no longer have to live for your own pleasure, but you live for him who loves you, who loves you and gave himself for you. 
your guide for living changes. You don't just kind of try to figure out how to live life from what you hear from your friends and pick off of a few movies and the internet, but you have this authoritative guide for life in the scriptures. Your guide for how you live has changed. Your identity changes. You see yourself now as someone who is welcomed and loved and accepted and adopted and redeemed and forgiven in Christ. That's how you define yourself. Not by how good a quarter you had in sales. Not by whether you're in the, the top 10 in your class. Not by the graduate school you get into. Not by your successes or your failures. Uh, Tim Keller tells a story of two guys who were actors who were trying out for a role in a, in a play. And one of them was a successful businessman who kind of did acting on the side. And the other was this guy who was full-born acting, but he had never really made it. And he was just, it was everything to him. He's, he's trying so hard to make it in acting. And so they try out for this role, and neither of them gets it. And the first guy, who was a successful businessman, he was disappointed. The second guy, for whom this was everything, was devastated. He was devastated because it's how he defined himself, the identity he wanted himself he was not able to achieve, and so it was in danger of even destroying him. How are you defining yourself? If, if, if that was taken away from you, who would you be? Who would you, who would you be at that point? Uh, in Christ, we're free. In Christ, we're forgiven. In Christ, we have a new reason for living. In Christ, we have a new guide for living. In Christ, we have a new way to define who we are. And we have to remember that. Uh, St. Augustine, one of the early great theologians of the church, was, was known for having a very promiscuous lifestyle um, before he was converted. He, he spent too much time in the Song of Solomon. Um, but, 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 but that's who St. Augustine was. And then he was converted, and he changed. And one day... One of his former lovers saw him, and she came up to him, and she was kind of coming on to him, and he just, he just kept moving, and she was kind of puzzled. She's like, that's not the Augustine I remember. And so finally she, she calls after him, and she says, Augustine, it is I. And he said, yeah, I know, but it is not I. It is not I. I'm not who I once was. If we're going to grow as believers, we have to remember who we are are that we have put off that old self and we have put on a new self and we have to live out of who we now are as believers now third thing we have to be renewed we have to be renewed notice that this putting off the old self and putting on the new self is something that's happened in the past but you get the sense here that for Paul, he sees an ongoing significance in this. In other words, there's still work that has to be done. Uh, we have to learn to live as the new men, as the new women that we actually are in Christ. And so he says in verse 23 that we need to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. So there's this inward <coughs> renewal that has to take place. In the Christian life, there's a tension. Uh, and you may have heard this phrase before. There's this already not yet tension that we live in. And here's what I mean. Jesus is already risen. 
he's already reigning, but things are not yet as they will be. All right, people are still in rebellion against Jesus. Our old self has been crucified. It's not who we are anymore. But it feels like sometimes that old self is kind of reaching up from the, from the grave and, and kind of trying to pull us back to live the way we used to live. We put on a new self. We're a new creation. But we're not yet fully who we will be. And so we have to be renewed. And let me, I know that can be kind of a hard concept to get. Let me give you a couple of illustrations uh, coming at this from different angles to help you think about this for a second. Uh, this week's podcast of, of uh, This American Life was about tensions between policemen and minorities and kind of how that all gets worked out and how people see that from different perspectives. And one of the things they talked about was how policemen often are on the same shifts over and over again. Like if you're working the night shift, you're always working a night shift. It's not night shift this week and day shift next week. You're always on the night shift. So you see the same things over and over again. Well, this one policeman, for whatever reason, got shifted from the night shift to the day shift, same neighborhood. And he talked about how eye-opening it was because he had just spent years seeing drug deals go down and prostitution and people shooting at each other and people robbing each other and just bad stuff that goes on at night. And then he came to the same neighborhood in the daytime, and he saw families pushing babies. He saw people going to work. He saw kids playing in the street. And he's like, it was just kind of this, like, whoa, this is, I don't see this neighborhood the same way that I used to see this neighborhood. Now, let me ask you something. If he was moved permanently, let's say he didn't just change for like a day or two, but he was moved permanently from night shift to day shift, do you think that he would immediately begin to think in those Think of those people in that neighborhood in a, in a new and different way. Or would he still hold on to some of the old prejudices that he had developed over the years of working the night shift and ways of thinking about the people in the neighborhood? Right, that's, that would be the case, right? He was still kind of, even though he's like, oh, wow, this is not what I thought it would be, he spent a lot of time building up this way of thinking. And so he has to learn to look at this neighborhood not through night shift eyes, but through day shift eyes. If you've been living your whole life without God in the equation, you're used to looking at the world in a different way, and you come into this new place in Christ, and you're beginning to see everything differently, but you spend a lot of time looking at the world this way. And so your way of, of seeing reality has got to gradually change. You've got to be renewed from within. Now, let me, let me give you another illustration. Um, think about marriage. When you get married, you become one uh, with a member of the opposite sex, and, and, and the longer you're married, the more one you become with that person, right? You, you grow in your oneness. Now, when you first come into the marriage, even though you are married, there's still a lot of ways you think like a single person, right? And, and we get in trouble for doing this, right? <laughs> you're like, I got some heads nodding. You're like, oh, I should have called them. Oh, I can't just go make plans. Like, there's this whole other person in your orbit now. Uh, when Susan and I hadn't been married very long, we were, her parents were still living in Birmingham, and we had gone to visit them, and I had a friend who lived in Tuscaloosa. He was in law school in Tuscaloosa, and I was going with him to Tuscaloosa to visit another friend of ours. And I was supposed to be back by 6 o'clock because we had a rehearsal dinner to go to for a wedding. Well, it's about, I guess it's about an hour, and it's around 5 o'clock, and we were in Tuscaloosa and about to head back. 
Well, like one of the last exits before you leave Tuscaloosa is Dreamland Barbecue. And I'd had Dreamland Barbecue in a long time and it's really good. And so I looked at Mike and I said, let's go to Dreamland. He's like, are you gonna get in trouble? I was like, yeah, but we haven't had a big fight yet. It'll be okay. And so, I, and so we had, we had I, we, we didn't have cell phones, this was back in the old days, so there was no like, just send a quick text. It was, you gotta go find a payphone and call somebody, and I, you know, I wasn't gonna do that. Uh, and so we go, to, we go to Dreamland, we get back to Birmingham late, and, and believe me, I got the cold shoulder. I learned my lesson well. But, but, but what was going on there? I was married, it wasn't like I had become unmarried, I almost became unmarried, but I, I hadn't become unmarried, but I wasn't looking at it like a married person, I was still thinking like a single person. And so it takes time, even though my status had changed, even though who I am had changed, it takes time to begin to see things in light of who I now am. So you, you, have, to, you have to make that move, right? You're on the new shift, you're working the new shift, you're married, but you're not single, but you still have to learn to see things through new shift kind of eyes. You have to learn to think about life as a married person, as not as a single person. There's an already, but then there's also this not yet. And so even though your old self is dead, your mind still needs renewing. You still have to learn to look at life through the lenses of the gospel. And, and here's where that happens. It happens here, all right? It happens as you, as you put yourself under the preaching of the word and, and your mind is re renewed and changed and you learn to look at things from a different perspective. It happens as you leave here and as you go with your community group and you kick some of this around. It happens as you leave and you go with your family or with the friends as you go out to eat at lunch and you start kicking some of these things around. It happens as you take this home and as you think about this and as you, as you pray through this, uh, and I'm going to put in the, a plug for the second week for the bulletin. How many people plug the bulletin? Um, yeah, a really great bulletin. But, but, but take this home and, and, and don't just throw this away or recycle it or whatever you do, but, but, but take this home and think of your quiet time. How about change the name of that to personal worship time? And sit down and, and, and like maybe like, okay, call to worship. I'm, I'm, I'm going to spend this 15 minutes. I need to, or 20 minutes, whatever it is, I need to, to worship God. And, and maybe I'm going to sing if you're brave enough to do that. Or I'm at least going to read through this, this hymn. Oh, look, I can confess my sins. Oh, I can be reminded of the gospel. Uh, oh, wait, there's the scripture we read. I need to think about that some more. I need, I need to pray, but how do I pray? Oh, there's the, the first petition in the Lord's Prayer. And I'm going to concentrate on that for a few minutes a day. And as, as we take this into our lives, we're more and more renewed in the way that we think and we begin to change. All right, last thing. Yeah, remember who we were. Remember who we are. We need to be renewed. And then we put it all into practice. And that's the, the end of this. Uh, look at verse 26. And I'm just going to hit these real quick. And then I'll leave it to you to kind of think through these some more. Uh, excuse me, verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Um, why do we lie? Why do we lie? We, we lie because we think there's something we have to have, and we have to control the situation. We have to get what we want. Or, or we lie because we're trying to pr protect something. We're trying to be in control. And the longer we're Christians, the more we're being renewed, the more we're able to say, you know what? God's in control. 
And so I don't have to be. And so I can speak the truth, even though I know speaking the truth may not bring the outcome I want it to bring. I don't have to control everything. God's in control of everything. And the more we realize that, the more we become truth speakers. We move away from falsehood and move into speaking truth. Uh, look at verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Because Jesus is changing you, your anger isn't controlling you any longer. You're more able to control your anger. You, again, learn to give situations into his hands, trusting that he's the one who's in control. You become a less angry person because you're not running around feeling slighted and upset with people and insecure. You're becoming comfortable with who you are in Christ. And so that anger is beginning to leave your life. Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone who is in need. Um, as we're renewed from within, you no longer feel this need to continually acquire more possessions to try to give meaning to your life. You're content with your daily bread. You see the generosity of Jesus, and the more you get the generosity of Jesus, the more you're able to give generously to others. Uh, and if you want to know how this is going in your own life, look at your, look at your checkbook. Look at your credit card statements. Because you, you spend money around things that are important to you. Uh, it'll, it'll show you where you're trying to find life. Uh, look at verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Uh, we began to, to tear other people down less because we don't have to do that to, to make me feel better about myself anymore. Because I know who I am in Christ. So I don't have to, to run you down. Uh, verse 30, because God has loved us, we uh, don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and then lastly at the end here, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The more we see, the more we hear over and over how kind and forgiving, and the more we really kind of sense that, how kind and forgiving God wants to us, the more kind and forgiving we become to others. How do I change? Well, i got to know Jesus first. And then I need to be brought into this fellowship of the church. And then as we kind of begin look, working on our behaviors, we remember who we were and what that was really like. We remember who we are in Christ. We begin to, to be renewed. We begin to learn uh, how to live out of who we are now, to see life through new eyes and who we are now. And by the grace of God, as the gospel takes root in us, we begin to put all that into practice. And that's what those last few verses are about. Here's what it looks like to take what you're learning, to take who you're becoming, and to actually work that out in your life. Here's what you're aiming for, the person you're aiming to be. Let me pray for us. God, I pray that you give us a desire to, to be uh, this type of person, uh, kind, forgiving, people who speak the truth um, in love, people who um, are kind to one another, people who are not uh, experiencing out-of-control anger, people who don't steal. 
but are generous. And God, we know that only happens as we grow in our relationship with Christ, as we remember who we were and remember who Jesus has made us uh, and are renewed in the way we think about life. So, Father, I pray that um, today and, and throughout this week that you would bring this scripture back to us and that you would do some renewing within us, that you would give us uh, day shift eyes, as it were, uh, to see life as, as you see it and to want to live life as you would have us to live it. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.